Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. True Hauntings is a Human Labs original podcast. The 2009 psychological horror movie Haunting in Connecticut is based on a true story. Alan and Carmen Snedeker move into a rental property only to experience the most horrendous ghostly attacks you could ever imagine a family going through. How much of the movie is based on the real haunting of this family? It's one of Ed and Lorraine Warren's most famous cases. Join us as we take a deep dive for the truth behind the haunting in Connecticut. Welcome to this week's episode of True Hauntings. My name is Renata Daniel. And I'm Anne Rikovich, and we can't wait to bring you this episode. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow, forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. Hi, Anne. Welcome back to the studio. Oh, it's so nice being back in our little air-conditioned, little hidey hole. Yeah, it's getting hot now, isn't it? It is, it is. I have to ask you, Renata, did you like the birthday present I bought you? It's wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm just so kind, aren't I? In yes, other words, you are. It hasn't arrived in the mail yet. <laughs> I'm still waiting. <laughs> but she is a year older since last time we spoke and she's looking 10 decades younger. Oh, thank you. It's the blood I ingested this morning. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> oh. oh, has everyone um, been through and watched Netflix and Midnight Mass by this stage? No, look, if you have started watching that and you're going, "Oh, this is all a little bit Catholicy for me," I have to say, I suffered from that, and you did too, didn't you, Renata? I did. I we did. battled on and uh, got through, and then all of a sudden, it took a very dark <laughs> turn. Oh, it was delicious. <laughs> it turned everything oh, about yes. Catholicism on its head. Uh, and it, it completely interpreted it through different eyes, and it was fantastic. Oh, and do you know what the worst thing was? It made absolute and total sense. It did! <laughs> it did! <laughs> Don't 
you just love it when things <laughs> like that happen? Oh, dear. Yeah. And look, this it's a great point because it just goes to show that interpretation is everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that was available on Netflix. Not that we've got sponsorship by Netflix, no. but we're available. <laughs> uh, and we're getting excited to plan for our trips next year. We're yes. getting very close to the end of the oh, year. The every day brings new messages of joy. Uh, so I don't know if we've told our listeners before that we're planning a um, a road trip. Now, where's the town that we're starting in? I keep forgetting the name of it. Um, oh, Shitterton. Shitterton. We're starting in Shitterton in the UK and we're going to drive all the way up. Um, There's various names of towns throughout uh, England that are very inappropriate and we're going to end up in twat. Mm. <laughs> you can imagine the live feeds that's going to happen oh, as we drive north. Fabulous. I think I th- do feel there is a whole TV series I, in this I if think, somebody wants to pick us up. I think there is. <laughs> but didn't this story that we're covering oh. today just trigger... A lot. It did. I actually needed to take an extra week to do it because it was just obscene. It really was. I want to get this this story out and I want to forget about the the family and And, the whole story. And we're going to have a little say at the end of it is exactly how we feel, aren't we? Oh, we're going to have a say all the way through it. (laughs) So hang on to your hats Let's not give anything away just yet. Yes, just yet. All right, Renata. Let's get on with the story. According to those who have witnessed them, no two exorcisms are alike, although they all have two things in common, one of which is unforgettable to all those involved, whether it is an exorcism of a person or a building, the presence. It is invisible, ethereal, and yet felt so deeply by everyone involved that it seems almost tangible. It is a presence neither female nor male, neither human being nor animal, neither a single entity nor a crowd of them, but it is distinct and, as the exorcism continues, usually becomes stronger. Even when it speaks... It sometimes refers to itself as I, sometimes as we. It moves around those present like an ice-cold breeze, a draft from the depths of the deepest cave in the earth until the exorcism is over, until the possessing entity has been cast out in the name of God. The second thing all exorcisms have in common is the most threatening, danger. Those participating in an exorcism are in constant danger and must anticipate hearing the foulest insults and seeing the most frightening things they are likely to experience in their lives. Their faith must remain rock solid in the face of horrible supernatural abuse. Demons will not uproot themselves without a powerful fight, and their chief weapon, as always, is fear. They feed on it, and will do anything they can to wring it out of those involved in the attempt to cast them out. Not all such attempts are successful. 
demons wait for an invitation before their entry, but they don't always leave when told. And that soundscape today comes from a book called In a Dark Place. And I have to say that blazoned across the cover, bigger than the title, are the words Ed and Lorraine Warren. In very small print down the bottom, (laughs) it says, I've got the wheeze out within seconds. Carmen Reed and Al Snedecker with Ray Garten. In tiny little print down the bottom. <laughs> oh, damn. So remember all those names because they're all going to come out in our story today. Oh, they are. Oh, they're coming Ooh. out. <laughs> so the movie, The Haunting in Connecticut, is based around this house. It's a sub- oh, It looks like a suburban house in Southington. I think that's how you would say it, Southington, Connecticut. And it's been really the the subject of a book, a TV movie, a theatrical movie, um, various documentaries, Mm. various more books. And uh, one of the main characters that lived through this process became a psychic healer and a modern day psychic. She's in the biz now. And yeah, so it has spawned so many offshoots. Oh, yes. In so many ways. Just spread like weeds. That's right. Now let's go back to the house itself. Like I said, it's it just a, it looks like just a suburban house, but in actual fact, um, it's a little bit more than that. It's multi-storied, and um, it's recognised by the National Register as a historic neighbourhood that it sits in, Hartford County. It was built in 1916, and. Uh, a re- it's a re- it's a rental property now, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's broken up into different sections, and that will make sense when we talk about the family living in the basement. Oh, so they're in a unit sort yeah, of thing so with, that's been unit. made into the, the mm-hmm. in the house. So yeah, it's, okay. It's it's big enough to yeah. be um, partitioned off and made into um, several. Mm other um, apartments and uh, as I said it that's not the original use for the house the original use for the, for the house was a funeral home oh so for several decades beginning in 1936 the house did serve as Hallahan funeral home and the funeral home eventually moved to Plantsville Connecticut somewhere in the 1980s so we've got kind of almost 40 years yeah. of it being a funeral home. The property was purchased by uh, Daryl Kern of Kern Realty, and he had plans for the house. It was vacant for a little while. Um, he wanted to make it possibly a hospital office building because it was close to the hospital, and that was one of the reasons the Snedeka family decided to move in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because of zoning issues, he couldn't do that. So he transformed the house into a duplex, uh, and apartments were broken up between upstairs and downstairs. And this is now when the Snedeka family move in. So they move in in 1986, Carmen and Alan, along with their four kids and some nieces and nephews and things. So there are a couple of kids that that came in. It's an extended family. Yeah. And they located from their home in upstate New York uh, to live closer to John Dempsey Hospital at the University of Connecticut Health Centre in Farmington because their eldest son, Philip, 
were suffering from Hodgkin's disease, mm-hmm. Hodgkin's lymphoma. And oh, that's what my little uh, cousin Chloe had. It's a type of cancer. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And they used to travel every day to the hospital. It was hours. Wow. And apparently it made um, Philip feel really nauseated the whole way through. Oh, I can, can you imagine, imagine. Go, going through chemo and then having to travel hours yeah. as well. So they decided that they would um, literally get the whole family and pack up everything and move as close to the hospital as they possibly could. Oh, good could. on them. So because they were in such a... Um, financial state Mm -hmm. as anyone going through cancer um, in the family would be. Particularly in America where the the health system doesn't cover it. Yeah. They needed to look for somewhere that was really, really affordable. And they found this particular place. It had um, been on the rental market for a little while. They went through it and had a look Mm -hmm. and decided that this was the place to be. I dare say it was a quick decision. Mm -hmm. They thought they'd just grab it, especially because it suited them financially as well. So... They moved in on June the 30th, 1986, and they went into the downstairs area, which included the basement, Mm -hmm. which was one of the uh, only spaces that was big enough for the boys to live in. Right, so it's it's said and it's stated in the notes that the Sneddecker family were not aware that it had been a funeral home. Mm. Only once they moved in, and they started to move all of their belongings in, did they realise that the rooms downstairs were partitioned off with woodworking things? Yep. Once they started to pull all the things out and clear out the space... Yeah, I think they are making a bedroom for Philip down there. Yeah. yeah did they realise that some of the items from the old funeral home were still down there in the basement. And I do remember that in the movie because I watched the movie a long time ago and I remember them pulling the walls down and finding like the mortician slab and everything like that. But I don't think that's what was left, was it? It was only a couple of bits and pieces. Well, apparently a blood drainage pit. Mm -hmm. That's a a drain. (laughs) A box of coffin handles and a casket lift. So that would just be the like a, a dumb waiter. <laughs> well, the thing that lifts the carcass. Yeah. The, the carcass. carcass. <laughs> <laughs> the casket up so you can put it in and out of the car, yeah, yeah. I guess. Or, or something like that. It's a lift. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this, yes, as you said, the area became a bedroom for Philip and his younger brother, Brad. Um, and look, honestly, to begin with, from the information that I know, the boys didn't really make too much of a fuss about it. Mm. You know, they, I guess they were just happy to be down there and, and you know, oh, have relieved their, not to have, have their travel space. Yeah. as well. Yep. Shortly after moving into the house, the Sneddecker's eldest son, Philip, started to complain that he was seeing shadows and hearing voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he told his mum that he would also see a man dressed in a black and white pinstripe suit. Right. Uh, Slender there, man, maybe? No, no, just a man in a black and white pinstripe suit. Now, he also asked to stay at the hospital rather than coming home. And he complained that he wasn't getting enough sleep because there was something going on in that bedroom. Oh, well, with teenage boys, there often is. <laughs> Now, 
Interestingly, I don't get a lot of information about the other son. Yeah, I have to admit, I didn't even know that there was another son that was living <laughs> in the room with him because it yeah. only ever refers to Philip. Yeah, because like, I tried to look for a whole lot of information and I couldn't see anything about Brad. Um, Poor Brad. He's yeah. feeling left out. He so wasn't possessed. Philip was getting um, all the attention from whatever it was down there. Uh, and look, it proceeded to get really, really dark as time went on. So there were, um, and again, this was one of these cases where I couldn't find a lot of information about what actually happened during their stay, or, or not a lot of information written down of what actually st- happened during their stay in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the book mm-hmm. in a dark place, um, but I'm going off what. Um, would have been recorded um, and what you could sort of look up yeah, reasonably there's, there's quickly. Yeah, there's YouTube clips of interviews and things like that. There's yeah. some very interesting YouTube clips. Yeah. So part of what they said that they experienced there were unexplained sounds, foul odours, sudden drops in temperature. Now, Carmen and a female niece named Tammy, who was staying with the family in the house, reported being touched by unseen hands. And it included also uh, an incident where Carmen felt one hand clamp over her mouth while another yanked her hair. Uh, Later, claims involved violent attacks on the family members and specifically the women, who said that they were being raped and sodomized by demonic forces. So that's pretty that's full terrifying. on. Pretty full on. And how long did they stay there for? Um, well, the interesting thing is they stayed on after all of this happened. Yeah, they were there for two years. Another two years. So the the whole incident didn't take that long because what happened was that Philip wasn't getting any better. Mm-hmm. His his cancer was getting looked after mm-hmm. and he was recovering from that. But he went to a very deep and dark place and they believe that he um, became quite schizophrenic and he changed the way he looked. He wore dark clothing. But how old was he at this time? Um 17, I think, 17. So you think of a 17-year-old boy that has been made dreadfully ill by Hodgkin's lymphoma, and and the treatment is quite often worse than the disease, Mm -hmm. um, but it was the only thing that's going to save him. So he's been made feel weak and powerless. Mm -hmm. Uh, I imagine there would be a bit of acting out there that he would try to change his persona to look strong and take back his life, really. It's a, a rebellion, He's had to rely on other people to clean up his sick and change his clothes for him and do whatever, whatever was needed because of his cancer. And uh, I, I think it would be a rebellion. Yeah, no. No? No. Okay. This, this was, Just shoot me this, down in flames, well, whatever. <laughs> the, well, according to the story, this is worse than rebellion mm. because he was acting out on all the other members of the family. Right. He was actually caught... Um, wandering through bedrooms at night. Um, And so there were were attacks from him on family members. And so they actually got him to move out of the family home, thinking that, 
don't know, maybe the stress was causing all of these weird things to happen. And so once he left the Hemley home, maybe it would be a better atmosphere in mm-hmm. the house. Mm-hmm. But that was not to happen because after he actually did leave the home, the paranormal activity just got worse for the rest of the family. Mm-hmm. And allegedly. So, allegedly. Carmen said she was mopping the kitchen floor at one stage and she noticed the water turned blood red. And there were horrible odours coming out of um, the the room. Yeah. Now, I remember actually seeing her talk about this on one of the documentaries that she was on because they were asking her what this red was. Mm-hmm. And she said it was really just red and sticky like blood. Oh, yuck. But there, look, just, just to be devil's advocate yet again... Uh, I know that when we worked at Quarantine Station Manly, there with the morgue was there and they had a blood drain that was underneath the slab mm-hmm. and it used to get very stinky in there. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the old sewer pipes mm-hmm. and the way they were built is that the smell would come back up. Don't be disrupting my story. I'm so sorry. We're getting to that in your part. Okay. okay. I'm just telling no, the story. This is logic stuff. Oh, but yeah, this is true. We don't want log- logic We don't want right logic now. right no. now, no. <laughs> um, so there were crucifixes that were hung around the uh, location throughout the house and they slowly began to vanish and some turned upside down. Others, oh, that's a sign. Others, oh, it is. And others were found on the floor. Yeah, um, a rosary that Carmen had placed uh, around her neck was yanked from her one particular night, and all the beads were scattered around the floor, and she had scratches all over her. Um, there were several demonic entities that made their presence known over the next few weeks, and Carmen said they were really, really powerful. One was very thin, with high cheekbones, long black hair, and pitch black eyes. Eyes. It sounds like Cher. <laughs> <laughs> She's down. She's Sorry. <laughs> if I could turn back time. Um, and there was another one with white hair and white eyes, and um, they wore a pinstripe tuxedo. What's with this pinstripe tuxedo? So she has co 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 co, co- What's the word? Collaborated. No. Corroborated. Corroborated. Um, what her son? Yes. Has said. Yes. So they've got together. Yeah, okay. because um, she actually says uh, his feet, or whoever this entity was, was constantly in motion. And this was seen by my son and I. Feet? Yeah. Did you say feet? Feet. Feet. So a bit like me that has uh, restless feet and I have to rub my feet all night. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So the most most disturbing thing about it all was this change in Carmen's son, who was pretty academic, but like you said, he was suffering from Hodgkin's lymphoma. So that yeah. would have changed everything for him. And he was getting uh, increasingly angry, violent. He started to write disturbing poetry. He uh, wrote graphic descriptions of sexual activity with dead bodies. Oh, ew. Um, The family uh, would, yeah, have these foul smells go through the house all the time, like rotting flesh or um, excrement. Um, And poop. A dark mist enveloped Carmen and her niece one time when they were standing in the kitchen and it literally felt like they were disoriented and it had paralysed them. Carmen began to recite the Lord's Prayer and the demon vanished, releasing the women. 
Right. Yep. Okay. Uh, Carmen was at her wit's end by this stage. Uh, and so she reached out to Ed and Lorraine Warren. I'm calling the Warrens? Begging them for help. So the Warrens were known by this stage because of their work with the Amityville Horror, which mm-hmm. was in the 70s, 1970s. Mm-hmm. Yep. Late so, 1970s. Uh, books were written. They had gone on to um, go on TV documentaries and everything. So Carmen reached out to the people who she believed would help them the most. And, uh, of course, the Warrens were uh, well known for their work with demons. Oh, very and, well known. And exercising demons. And um, they also brought in John Zaffis, which mm-hmm. was the nephew, uh, to be part of the investigation team. John says that shortly after they arrived at the house, they were all touched by the demons that were there. And it was this, this <laughs> Why whole Why did I just sense. have that song? Touch me. <laughs> they, uh, they, he says they remember the, the vile odours that were coming out of the house all the time. He says that the situation was pretty chaotic in there. Um, John recalls one night I was sitting in the dining, at the dining room table reviewing some notes that I'd made. Suddenly the room grew bitterly cold and I could sense a presence around me. I think they were there for about nine and a half days in total mm. altogether. They were spread around the house, so they were sleeping in, you know, the, the living room and uh, they, they were just there 24 hours a day to I see. I there for a couple of weeks, actually. To see what Several was going weeks. on. They believe they heard the sound, a sound that sounded like thousands of flapping wings coming towards them. Um, <laughs> that was not wings, people. That was not wings. And... Um, they, John says he was never as never more terrified in his whole life than mm. he was. He would in have that been house. fairly young at that stage. Oh, hang on, oh, middle age, youngish, mm. <laughs> young to us. So Lorraine said she felt an evil presence in the house. Oh, um, I bet she did. She spent a night in the master living room. There was a trap door where the coffins were brought up. Mm. God, um, and that would have been horrendous. And during the night, you could hear the chain hoist. And there's actually a picture mm-hmm. um, that was in the newspaper of this chain hoist. I'll have to find it and put it up that, on the uh, True Hauntings Facebook page that yeah, we've got. Yeah, that would hoist the coffins up into what would probably be the the room that would um, be... Where they had the service. Yeah, where, the, where they had and the, the showing. service. the showing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was the master bedroom. Oh, nice. Right. <laughs> I'll have some sexy time in there. <laughs> Oh, look at that dead body. Nice. (laughs) Now, a Catholic priest was brought in to bless the house. Now, this is where things get a little bit funny because... Funny ha-ha? I could not find in many of the reports any name Mm. to the priest. Funny about that. Now, there was one bit of information that I found that actually had the pr- a priest's name there. Oh, yes. Um, but in, in no other, mm. in no other piece of information is there uh, the name of a priest oh, that I've came in. so much to dump. I'm uh, so excited. Yeah. Um, Carmen and her husband were both attacked by the demonic forces. They would throw things around and mysterious scratches appeared on the children's body. Uh, so uh, it was decided that an exorcism would 
happen on the house. Um, during the exorcism, the researchers were saying that the dishes rattled, picture frames rattled and, sh- and shook. There were mysterious loud bangs from within the walls, but the house definitely felt lighter and there was a smell of roses that came around oh, the wall nice. and a sense of calm and release. Somebody had sprayed some LSD in the air. Yeah. So, in all, the, the Sneddecker family lived in this house for two and a half years. So, the first six months were the most horrendous. And then they stayed there for another two years. Mm. Mm. And um, Carmen states that no one who has lived there since their family has ever experienced any more paranormal activity. Which seems to mean it's centred around that family and that family alone. Yes, yes. So let me just read the the last few sentences here. It's been almost two decades since these events took place. Since that time, Carmen has has been approached by negative forces, but her unwavering faith and unflinching courage has kept the evil energies at bay. she's such an angel. Uh, No one will ever really know why the house was haunted while we were there, Carmen said. We did discover, however, that one of the men who worked in the funeral home was guilty of necrophilia. So perhaps his heinous action stirred up the demonic forces. I could not find anything. No, neither could I. To say that that was the truth. Mm -hmm. Funny about that. Now, remember when I talked about the poem that her son, the poetry her son was writing about him him doing things to dead bodies? Oh, yes. Oh, so we've got a bit of a link there. Mm -hmm. Do you think he was influenced by the said necrophiliac? Possibly. Um, Let me just finish this one sentence. Oh, she's got a cheeky look on her face. She's excited. So this was one of the most significant cases I've ever worked on, said John Zaffis. Without hesitation, it proved to me beyond any doubt that the demonic forces are very real. Mm. Or are they? (laughs) So I've got 12 pages of information here. Um, most of them all saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Some of the juiciest bits would probably have been from newspapers, which I couldn't download because yeah, I, I couldn't I, either. I, I tried. Yeah, I, you have to subscribe to everything to yeah, be able to you download. Have to pay it. for everything. Um, How dare they? <laughs> so, but I did find a lot of stuff that curled my toes mm-hmm. and raised my eyebrows and. I'll let you talk about this. Mm. Um, I, I wanted to get the story out. Yeah, yeah. Renata's so the, got a new perm out of this. Her hair is curled so much. <laughs> oh, it was like, it's distressing. It, it is, is very, really, really very distressing. distressing. Um, but yes, that's the story. Now, ladies and gentlemen, hang on to your knickers because we're going for a big ride oh, on we, this one. Oh, we're going dark. <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So... Getting into this one, I was just saying to Renato, I I don't even know where to start because there are so many um, tendrils. Yes, shall we say yeah. it's it's like the story itself of actually what happened loses itself completely in the story of what happens afterwards. Yeah. Uh, and I, I will point out possible bias as we go through um, and we have a little dig through the story. But maybe I should start with um, the people that own the building. Yeah? Yeah. So this is the landlady and the, 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 the people that own the building and take rent. Mm-hmm. So... Of course, they're going to say that the whole story is ridiculous, right? There's there's nothing there. But the bias there is um, they need to be able to rent this property out to pay their bills. So, of course, they're going to say there's nothing to it. But she said that nobody before them had experienced anything bad. uh, And then after they left, nobody experienced Mm -hmm. anything bad. Uh, and I, I did like this quote from one of the uh, articles that I was reading up on where it says, apparently being assaulted and raped by Satan's minions for months at a time wasn't good enough reason for them to break the lease. <laughs> they were quite happy to stay there. Yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. But the the actual landlady said the reason why um, they they were almost evicted 
They didn't quite get evicted, but it was because they weren't paying their rent. Yes, that is true. They weren't paying their rent. And as you said, they were having financial difficulties because of the son who had cancer. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that is why they all of a sudden started claiming there was ghosts and demons. Um, Her husband said it's a fraud, it's a joke, it's a hoax, it's Halloween, it's a scheme. Everything is about making some money. Now, they they also said that um, they never heard anything from the Sneddeckers until it went public. Yeah, uh, I didn't know about that, but they said that the uh, ghostly activity, the paranormal activity, conveniently escalated at the time they got behind in their rent. Ah, right. Yeah. Uh, and they moved out before they got evicted. Right, so... There, as I said, the bias of the landlord, they've got to be able to rent this place Mm -hmm. again. But then we have the thing that they're not uh, paying their rent and they're claiming the house is haunted. So that that would be allegedly a reason that they shouldn't have to pay their rent because they're being terrorised. Yes, yes. So then I thought we might go on to the neighbours. Yes. Let's have a look at the neighbours. Now, there's a couple of neighbours. There's the one called Kathy Altimus who lived across the street Um. And she started to actually keep a journal of the events. Yeah, she seems to me like the the, the neighbour that looks through the, yes. <laughs> the curtains. She'd have her cup of tea or coffee, and she'd be peering yes. through the curtains. Oh, that's what are they doing this week? Those are doing it again. What's going on over there? Oh. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, she seemed to think that the Snedekers had some sort of plan before they even moved in. Mm. She'd got this thing in her head that these people had planned all these demonic activity things happening because they were going to make a fortune. They've found a really good place to move into that has a great history. Now, she claims that some of the haunting claims, so there was that sound of the clanking chain. Yes. Uh, She said uh, it was either the old coffin. uh, They were claiming it was the coffin lift in the basement that could be heard. But she said in her journal that passing trucks would go past and it would sound like there was a train Mm -hmm. dragging. Mm -hmm. So um, I've never heard of that with a passing truck, but anyway. No, but I I have because sometimes if it's an empty truck going past, they'll have chains and things which are loose Mm -hmm. and they will make that sort of racket as they go past. Mm -hmm. The the chain that lifts the coffins or lifted the coffins does exist though. So it is a thing in the Mm -hmm. house. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, now I'm just trying not to reveal too much too soon. We don't want to come too soon, eh? It's <laughs> always know, a problem. More for everything. More for the fellas than it is the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> you started that one. I'm just uh, saying. Dear. Okay. All right. So I've got to put a little mark to come back to that one. Now, there's also an upstairs neighbour. Yes. All right. Now, that's Sandy. Sandy lived upstairs and she shared the duplex with them. Um, and she said, I haven't seen or heard anything supernatural <laughs> in the building. I haven't heard a thing. Uh, Sandy has that's also... because they were supplying her with drugs. <laughs> <but never mind. laughs> so, 
<laughs> Sandy also has uh, been an employee of the real estate agency that the family had employed to find their new home. So, of course, she's going to say, there's nothing, oh, there's going nothing on. here. I didn't do anything wrong. Don't no. sue me. No. So she mm-hmm. has bias in that yes. area. Yep. Uh, but she could also be right. There could be no paranormal activity. And as for the claim that Carmen and Al were unaware of the place being a funeral home, she said they did. They, they absolutely knew. And there was even a story that the sign was still up on the wall that said whatever it was, funeral home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the uh, Snedeckers said, oh, no, that sign was covered by a bush, which mm-hmm. means they knew it was there because they found it <laughs> <laughs> covered by a bush. So then we have sort of that sort of inconsistency mm-hmm. alright now who else have I got here I've got so many pages of notes Oh, now I have another neighbour for you this one's name's Joan mm-hmm. Joan Mirabelle oh isn't that just such a lovely oh, it's name beautiful. so there was this neighbour who actually witnessed something herself mm-hmm. so I really like the idea that it's an external person that has witnessed something so Joan said that she saw a mysterious green glow coming from one of their windows. Oh. Maybe somebody had a green lamp on? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as alleging that she was stung by a mysterious force when she visited the family home. Okay. <laughs> somebody pinched her. I wonder if they got her on the bottom. Okay. Uh, so right. Mirabelle told a local newspaper, I don't believe that they've made the whole thing up. Every time I've seen her on TV, talking about Carmen, um, the story became more and more involved and it just got bigger. Mm. And it sounds a little bit like, and they liken this story to... Um, the Amateurville case. Yeah. She also said that she had seen the Snedeckers outside of their home in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. But there was somebody else who reported that they seemed to be quite happy and laughing and having a good time. Mm-hmm. So that's like... That's after the drugs. <laughs> now, Renata, we haven't got to that oh, part yet. <laughs> you, you, you're jumping in a little bit quick there. Okay. All right. So I've got to cross all that out now. All right. Um... There's also now, but we can't take this person's story. Al Snedeker's sister, um, she also seemed to have uh, experimented, experienced paranormal activity in the family home, and her name was Nancy Butcher. Mm -hmm. So um, it's like you you can't take the statement of somebody who was inside the car for a car accident. (laughs) (laughs) She's she's got family, so. Can't have her. We're crossing her out. I wonder whether she's got a brother called Com. (laughs) What? I've missed it. Now I've got to go back. I can't remember her name. What's her name? (laughs) Oh, Butcher. Com Butcher. Save me, peoples, please. (laughs) Right. Okay, let me just get on to the family now. I'm going to start talking about the family. I'm okay. leaving the best bits to last, and we know <laughs> yeah, who that is. Because oh, once we go there, there is no coming back. <laughs> no. Right, so 
as we said, the sun was uh, had to move. <laughs> Glasses are fogging up. Um, so this this is Philip that seems to be quite the centre of everything that's going on. So he's he's had to move. He's he's sick. He's come to a new house. He's full of stress. Um, on the very first night of sleeping there, supposedly. Now, you originally said there was nothing that happened for a while, but the report I read said on the very first night of sleeping there, Philip complained of hearing strange voices and anomalous sounds. Mm. It's a big word for a 17-year-old to use, it isn't is. it? Mummy, I heard anomalous sounds last night. He described seeing the figure of the man in the pinstripe suit, as you said. Um, He became so terrified that he begged to be allowed to stay at the hospital. So that was the reason he wanted to stay at the hospital, because he was so terrified of what Mm -hmm. was happening inside the house. Despite his insistence that what he was experiencing was true, Philip's parents dismissed his claim, suspecting hallucinations as a side effect of the cobalt treatment he was receiving for his illness. Mm -hmm. Now, I did try to look up the side effects of cobalt, and the closest I could come to any sort of mental health issues was depression. Mm -hmm. Um, There's nothing there about hallucinations or anything like that, but it it can cause depression. Um, Maybe our beautiful Danielle, who does all all the research, can find out some more about that one. But I did have difficulty finding that. So after he moved into the basement, Philip's personality did say to change. Um, He started to wear leather and he started to get into the occult. Mm -hmm. Oh, of course, that means that there's going to be demons, doesn't it? It is. Now, there is a story that at one point he broke into the neighbor's house to steal a gun in order to harm his stepfather. Uh, Philip was the stepson of Al. So there was obviously some sort of issue going on between them that he went in to get a gun and Mm. harm him. Again, very much sounding like the Amateurville all over again. With the father and the son, and he got the gun and pointed it in the father's face. Oh, once you get a good story, why not stick to it? (laughs) And reuse it in other stories. Mm. Now, there is also... I didn't realise they were a blended family. Ah, okay. So there's a little bit more to do with Philip, which will start to make sense for a lot of the phenomena that was happening in the house. Mm -hmm. Um, But I might come back to that. (laughs) I just want to leave you hanging. Right, so the mother... Uh, this is Carmen. Yes. Um, one of the things that happened to her, which I think we've all experienced at some stage in our life, if you have a shower with a shower curtain, those things can attack you. <laughs> telling you now. Her shower curtain very quickly wrapped around me and I couldn't push it away, according to the article. Her only thought was that this thing was trying to kill her. Mm-hmm. Oh, those shower curtains, they stick to your body like nothing else. You can't get them off. It's awful. That is true. Uh, Now, she was one of the ones that caused so much issue because her story kept changing Mm -hmm. all the way through. She was asked, why didn't you leave the house? And she was saying, oh, because it would follow us. It it followed us wherever we went. If they haven't left the house, how do they know it's followed them? Yeah. Um, so she was saying it's pointless to move. Uh, then on other occasions, she claimed that she was unaware of what was happening in the house and uh, stating that it was the kids being tormented and not her. Mm-hmm. No, 
that's mm. not right. Mm. Mm-hmm. I know, right? She. This is her telling the story. So it's it's. There, there is all sorts of things going on in this house, and I don't think many of them are paranormal. Carmen seemed to ex- supposedly experience all this terrible abuse, uh, but this neighbour that we were talking about earlier said she often saw the family outside the house in the middle of the night saying they could not go back in, yet... Far from being terrified, as one would expect, after having supposedly experienced the atrocities, which they claimed, the family seemed perfectly happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they were going outside and making sure that they were being seen. Uh, Mirabelle said that they never seemed to be afraid. They were always out there laughing and joking. Mm -hmm. We've got the nieces. Now, the nieces claim to have felt a disembodied hand touch her in a sexual manner. Mm-hmm. Uh, she even alleged that an unearthly presence had raped her. Speaking about these abhorrent attacks, Carmen described how the entity laughed a hideous laugh when it went above her shirt and out the window. Now, there was an interview done with one of the nieces whose name was Tammy, and she actually refers to the Entity film, right? Yeah. So that's that's a, a film that was a, around that time. And uh, she talks about how she loves that film, and they, they all really loved that film. Uh, a lot of the things that happened in this case mimic what happened in that movie. Oh, right. Almost like it was used for... Anyway. <laughs> uh, all right. So that, that's that bit done. So there, there is a possibility that the nieces were actually interfered with, allegedly, by Philip. Mm-hmm. So, these poor girls, he was found wandering their bedrooms. Yep. and, and yep, he was. Uh, So, if you look at the niece's claim where she says she felt a disembodied hand touch her in a sexual man- manner, is that Philip? Mm-hmm. So, if you've been told stories that there's ghosts, you'd be closing your eyes and hiding and not wanting to look. Or is it her, her mind that is blocking it out? who was doing this or is it the family covering up for Philip mm-hmm. could be any of those oh, uh, the the most damning one to come into all of this is uh, Garten who wrote the book boy where do I even start with him there's some interviews with him which just blow up everything but let me go back to the role of Philip in all of this now in the book Garten calls Philip Stephen. So if you hear them talking about Stephen, that was Philip. He said he was caught fondling his cousins and was questioned by police afterwards. This led to Philip admitting that this was not the first time he had acted inappropriately with the female relatives. According to the book, Philip admitted to having performed such heinous acts habitually in secret at night without being caught and that he even once attempted unsuccessfully to sleep with his cousin. After this shocking admission, Philip was taken to a juvenile detention centre where a psychiatrist diagnosed him as schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. And this is um, not mentioned in the main story, 
they're just saying that because of all the things that happened from a paranormal perspective and the terror that he had to endure, that's what created the schizophrenia. Mm. Or is it the other way around? So Philip admitted to having committed obscenities similar to those attributed to the demonic entities that said to reside within the family home. Mm-hmm. So was it the demons that taught him to do it or was it uh, his idea or was it him all along? Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be said that rather than being attacked by unseen supernatural creatures, the family was instead being abused by Philip and that their fantastical claims were invented as a form of psychologically coping with what had gone down. Mm-hmm. And look, you can understand the family's point of view. Uh, if this is happening and they're having a lot of trouble trying to sort out, and you know you know what a mother's guilt is like. Oh, yeah. And the, the fact that he is unwell, and that is true, he was unwell, he was going through all of this stuff um, with the Hodgkin's lymphoma and then having him act out, how as a mother do you deal with it? How do you deal with that that split in that personality? Mm-hmm. Apparently he was also using drugs. Yes. Yes. Which Not was... only him, apparently. Mm, you would get there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Alright, now, now I'm going to go to Ray Garten. I love Ray. Oh, Ray. Ray just says it like it is. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Ray, get me out of here, Garten. Oh, no, no. Should I do the Warrens first before no, no, I no. hit up? <laughs> no, I've waited too long. <laughs> All right. So, Ray Garten in 1992 uh, was commissioned to write the book In a Dark Place, The Story of a True Haunting. Now, he, he has been interviewed several times about the the what what happened what with, went down what went down so he was actually hired by Ed and Lorraine Warren yes to work with the Sinedekas and write the true story of the house from hell he interviewed all the family members about their experiences and soon realized there was a problem Obdinana. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he said, I found that the accounts of the individual Snedekers didn't quite mesh. They couldn't keep their story straight. So, being a good writer, he's gone to the Warrens, he's gone to Ed and said, um, "I this doesn't make sense. This one's saying this one and this one's saying that and it, it's completely contradicting each other. Ed's reply... Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, they're crazy, he said. You've got some of the story. Just use what works and make the rest up. Just make it up and make it scary. Mm-hmm. So he took what information he'd been given, plucked out the best bits of it, created a story, used what they could, made up the rest and tried to make it as scary as he could. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, some of the Warren's co-authors have reportedly since admitted that Ed told them to make up incidents and generally create scary tales. Mm-hmm. So we know that this happened with Amateurville mm-hmm. and it was big breaks for some of these authors. Mm-hmm. They made lots of money. Uh, Ray Garten, who wrote the Halloween released book, they released it Halloween, how convenient, um, has basically gone on to say that um, he was not happy in the end and uh, it was all crap. Yeah. Wow. So it's not the only time that this has happened. There's also The Exorcist. Uh, which was apparently 
uh, A Million Little Pieces, uh, a book. Um, and it's where they take those little bits of truth and make it into something much bigger. And we've done The Exorcist before. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a really great interview by Damned Connecticut. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh. oh, dear. I, I, there is so many good books, uh, bits here. All right, I'm going to read this part out. Are you ready? So this is Damned Connecticut says, You've publicly questioned the Snedeker story. What things in particular don't you believe? What leads you to question their credibility? Do you have any particular evidence? Who's this they're asking? Ray Garten. Right. Okay. His reply. Mm-hmm. They couldn't keep their stories straight for starters. The family was a mess, but their problems were not supernatural. And they, they weren't going to get the kind of help they needed from the Warrens. At the time I was with them, Carmen Snedeker was running some kind of illegal interstate lottery scam that I don't think I was supposed to find out about. But when I did, she repeatedly urged me not to mention it in the book and not to tell anyone. Their son around whom the entire story centred, was nowhere to be found. I never met him. I was allowed to talk to him briefly on the phone. But as soon as he started telling me that he that the things he saw in the house went away after he'd been medicated, Carmen abruptly ended the conversation. Mm-hmm. The Warrens repeatedly told me they had videotapes of the actual supernatural activity shot in the house and they were going to show it to me while I was there, but they never did. They said they couldn't find the tape. I never saw the inside of the house, the former funeral home in the story, because the people living there at the time wanted absolutely nothing to do with the circus. and They claimed there was no problems at all in the house. The Warrens explained that this was because the house had been cleansed by a priest who had performed an exorcism. But to the best of my knowledge, the Catholic Church had absolutely nothing to do with the Warrens in any official way, and there are questions about the legitimacy of the priests who worked with them. Okay. Uh, There is also... um, Oh, I've got to find that part where it says uh, that the priests in the story... Um, they refused to give the name, as you said before, and the Warrens got very, very angry when uh, they were pressed on this. Now, do you have the part here I found? She's so excited. Do you? I haven't finished yet. I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, it says, after interviewing the family members and working his way through the reported facts of the case, Garten has stated that several things just didn't add up, as you said. Unsure of how to handle it, he reportedly approached Ed Warren and explained his dilemma to him and asked him for advice. According to Garten, Warren replied with the following advice. So this is a little bit different from what you said. Oh, okay, different one, okay. Everyone who comes to us is crazy. Otherwise, why would they come to us? You've got some of the story. Just use what works and makes the rest up and make it scary. You write scary books, right? That's why we hired you. Mm -hmm. So just make it up and make it scary. (sighs) Let's just keep going, right? We we have to push through this because I can see the... I'm seething. (laughs) She is seething. There is steam coming out the nose and the ears. 
All right. Now, I'm going to go into the Warrens a little bit. Yep. Now, a lot of this information came from a guy called Joe Nickel. Now, he is a skeptic. And just let me quickly refer to some of the, uh, what do we call it, the resources I've used. So, mm-hmm. uh, there is a website, theparanormalscholar.com. Uh, centerforinquiry.org livescience.com yeah. and rogerebert.com and I also had one from the skeptics as well so this guy is a really well known skeptic so once again we've got to think of the bias here yep, yep, that true. he's not going to want these stories to be true so he attacks them left right and centre but you guys are clever enough you can make up your own mind anyway so the Warrens are called Yes. Uh, she apparently the Carmen had a friend who said, "No, don't call them. This, you don't need the Warrens. This mm-hmm. is not paranormal." But she ignored them and called the Warrens. Mm-hmm. So enter the notorious Warrens demonologist Ed and his clairvoyant wife Lorraine. Mm. Although some saw them as sincere religious people, others called them charlatans and scaremongers. <gasps> oh. Fancy that. That's so unfair. That's not what they looked like in that last movie we saw as they were dancing together and looking longingly into each other's Mm -hmm. eyes. Um, So basically they have this, it's almost like a plan. They would arrive with a lot of fanfare at the haunted location and typically the people that they would arrive at would be Catholics. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and soon transform whatever the case was into a demonic one and then secure a lucrative book deal. Yes, and this happens time and time again. Which Funny is about that, huh? That's the interesting bit about it. So uh, now this Joe Nickel guy appeared with Carmen Snedeker on uh, a couple of TV shows, The Maury Povich Show. Sorry if I've said that wrong. Um, and the Sally Jesse Raphael. I do remember that one. Um and he found Ed to be blustering, would-be bullying, bullying, demon hucker steering type of person. <laughs> uh, and I actually saw the transcript of this interview, and Ed just wouldn't listen. He just wanted to talk over the top of people, mm-hmm. and mm. um, he wasn't willing to listen to anything that anyone. And at some stage, they were going to storm off the set. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were they were quite aggressive. Now uh, they questioned them about the exorcism. So they said the couple claimed to have arranged for an exorcism to be performed at the house, but have never provided any substantiating evidence to prove this. When questioned on television at the time, Ed referred to the priest who conducted the exorcism as Father A, mm-hmm. who had supposedly appeared on television before. When pressed to give more details, Ed responded with a disproportionate aggression by saying, Father A, that's the name I give you. I don't have to give you anything else. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a very spiritual person. <laughs> Look, you can imagine from one point of view their frustration if they're continually being asked um, for details because this is a big story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you get to a point where you go, oh, just, I, I can't keep on doing this. You, you're, you're here just to rubbish me and I I totally understand that yeah and look Ed accuses one of the neighbours as being paid off by the landlord Mm -hmm. to dispute the Snedeckers claim once again that could be true could be true because they don't want their house to be seen as being haunted Uh, but when once they came off stage 
Um, Ed made veiled threatening asides to him and offstage swore like a sailor. Wow. Mm, But we've only got his word on it, don't we? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so as he, in another interview and questioned by reporters about the priest who supposedly conducted an exorcism on the property, Ed once again became hostile, shouting and just dick, just, 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 just waving his arms around <laughs> aggressively. <laughs> this is baloney, he said on camera. Come on, let's get out of here. And after that, he started to walk off, get up and walk out. Um, so he's, he gets very aggressive when questioned. Apparently there's one uh, also uh, documentary that can be found on YouTube where uh, Ed and Lorraine and um, Alan and Carmen are interviewed together. Yeah. And Carmen's at that stage where I don't know whether she's been bullied into submission or she's gone, I just can't cope yeah. with this anymore. And she just can't talk. No, well, she doesn't, they don't get the chance to talk because Ed's talking over the top of them. And I've just realised we're we've getting a bit long in the tooth on this one, so we need to wrap it up. Um, so they also talk about Lorraine's so-called medium abistic, uh, mediumistic abilities. Uh, and that was how they got the story about the mortician who worked in a funeral home and committed vile acts on the dead um, and that's why all these unnatural actions have drawn in demonic entities. Mm -hmm. So it's her word and her word alone Mm -hmm. that there was this um, necromancy, not necromancy, necrophilia Necrophilia. going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, And why is it when paranormal investigators go into a location um, where they're supposedly haunting, immediately go to the, oh, the, there's bad things that's happened here. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. And that's they true. always jump to the worst. Um, so the house was supposedly exercised, and that's the what the Warrens are saying is the house was exercised, and that's why people afterwards didn't experience any demonic activity because they solved the problem. They solved the problem, yeah. Of course. Yep. Uh, and then there was also Johnny Zaffis, who who was brought in to learn the family business. Mm-hmm. That's why he was brought in, to learn the family business. Uh, and look, I... I quite like Johnny Zaffis. I've seen him on TV several times. He seems like a really nice guy. Maybe he was younger then and a little bit more naive. I don't know. Or maybe the Warrens are right. Who knows? But there was this great quote. Right, I found it. But uh, Renata, you, you were saying that there is another book that's being written. Well, apparently. So this is this is going back a bit. I'm not quite sure when this was written, but it actually states in the notes here that... Um, John Zaffis and Chip Coffey were writing a book about the family home and what happened there. And they had a working title. The working title was called Demons from the Dark or Demons in the Dark. And when this particular article was written, um, there wasn't an expected release date. So I don't know whether that book actually came out or Mm, not. Maybe there's too much truth coming out. Anyway, I found these uh, great conclusions here. Basically, with everything that's going on there, it's really hard to make a decision either way what happened. There is no official documentation. There is no physical evidence. Uh, All you've got is the word of the Snedekers, the word of the Warrens, uh, and the word of the other witnesses and the neighbours. so and they're all biased. Everyone has their own bias. So yeah. how do you make up your mind? My my thing with this is that the 
guy that wrote the story said that nobody could get their story straight. And it wasn't just that they... It kept changing. Mm. And yeah. it changed to seem to suit what was required in the storyline, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to leave it in Garten's hands to end this off. Since writing the book, I've learned a lot that leaves no doubt in my mind about the fraudulence of the Warrens and the Snedekers. Not that I had much doubt anyway. I've talked to other writers who have been hired to write books for the Warrens, always horror writers like myself, and their experience with the Warrens have also been almost identical to my own. Wow. So that is from somebody who was hired by them. Mm. And made money out of it. Mm. And if anything, he'd probably want to try and keep that quiet, Mm. not talk about it. Mm. Because that would ruin his reputation. That's right. But he's actually spoken up. Okay. Well, that's been a very interesting story. And I, when I approached this and I said, let's do this, I never thought it was going to turn like this. Mm. I thought it was just going to be another normal... Wow. It's an Amityville horror all over again. All over again. Is this house haunted? Is this a true haunting? The thing that strikes me here is that there is no evidence. No. Okay, all we have is hearsay. And we have Philip, who was a drug user and has admitted to fiddling Mm. um, and trying to rape people. We have uh, people who are behind in their rent and can't pay. We have a lot of stuff that's going on there. Um, Look, the thing that strikes me is I, I feel for Carmen... We hear almost nothing from the father mm-hmm. once it gets to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel for Carmen from the point of view of she's trying to protect her son. What yeah. I don't get is then her turning to doing psychic work. All of a sudden, from nothing, she is now a big psychic medium yeah. who has all the abilities under the sun. Yeah. So if, if, if all of this was so traumatic, why would you then go into the business? Yeah. And do you know the thing is that is really making me cranky is that the Warrens are being portrayed in these movies as these, the saviors, the saviors, the most beautiful people on this earth, so much in love. And then if you look at the backstories, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. It's really horrible. Anyway, I'm going to say it. This is not a true haunting. No, I I have to agree with you. It is absolutely not a true haunting. There is no, <laughs> there's not a skerrick. No, I think it was all to protect Philip. Yep. Anyway, guys, thank you for joining us on this huge journey of true hauntings. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as we did digging down into it. Make sure that you have uh, subscribed and that you can find us on YouTube as well. Anne and Renata, lots of stuff that we're doing over there. You can find us on Facebook. Come join the community. And uh, until then, we will all see you on The Dark Side. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.anneandrenata.com.
True Hauntings is a part of the Human Labs Podcast Network. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 